You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. So let's go ahead and get to today's walk talk. First of all, before I begin, I'm going to go ahead and introduce myself. Uh, If you're new to my ministry, maybe you just started following my account recently. Uh, My name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. I have written seven books. All my books are available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. Check them out if you get some time. Maybe soon in the future, they might be on paperback. There's a beta now on Amazon and I might end up doing that. I'm not sure yet, maybe, maybe not. But either way, check my books out if you get some time. What else? Um, I am, I'm not a pastor. I'm a regular person just like you. I always mention that in my introduction and the reason why is I want you to be confident in who you are, not in any particular person. So the gospel was set up with the body of Christ in mind, not a top-down authority. So we don't see any passage in the Bible about one person being in charge of everybody else. In fact, we only see the word pastor in the New Testament one time, just once. And it's in the book of Ephesians. And when we look at that section of scripture, it doesn't have a list of qualifications. It doesn't have a list of authority. It doesn't have anything. No description of a pastor. What's that tell you? What we see today in our modern church, that position of pastor We've come up with that, not the Bible. We didn't get it from the Bible because it's not there. So when we look at the Bible and we see the word pastor, it's listed as a spiritual gift. That's it. So what is the spiritual gift of being able to pastor? If we look at Jesus, he was the perfect example of that. It is a shepherding gift. It is an overseer. Okay. Did Jesus go around punishing people? No. Did he go, did he go around causing people harm? No. He led with love. So... Ultimately, the pastor gift can be reflected best through Jesus. Who would have thought? And we don't see that in a lot of our modern churches. We see, in fact, the opposite. People up on stage in a pulpit, which there's no stage in any of the New Testament epistles, nor in Acts. There's not a pulpit in the Bible. We've come up with the pulpit and put it up there. There's no pulpit in Scripture. But we see these people with the title of pastor, and they condemn people. Jesus actually said, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save it. But we have people who have named themselves pastors, came up with this title because it's not a title. It's a supernatural gift. And now they're up on stage every Sunday condemning people or fleecing them. So we got to get away from this stuff. And we got to go back to the truth of scripture. And the truth of scripture is you don't need somebody on stage to teach you. (laughs) Now, do we learn from other people? Yes, there's a supernatural gift of being a teacher. But some people who can teach don't have the gift of pastoring. And we have to rethink what pastors are. Because what we see today is not in the Bible. So when I say people who have the pastor gift is not the gift of somebody leading a group of people in a building, up on stage, telling everybody what to do once or twice a week, and then telling them to come back for more next week. That's it. We've come up with that. It's not in the Bible. Now we see elders. 
We see deacons, elders and deacons. When we look at those verses, just go to Bible Gateway and look these words up. I'm not coming up with this. Study this for yourself. Go to Bible Gateway, type in the word pastor, look for it. Look for qualifications. There are none. Look for authority. There is none. Google, or excuse me, go to Bible Gateway and look up the word elder. Look up the word deacon. When you do that at Bible Gateway, it actually pulls up every time that word pops up in the Bible with different in each translation. You can study it. They have no authority. Qualifications for an elder or a deacon, but no authority. Authority means they have the ability to punish you for doing something. They don't. And the last holdout of this, the last holdout somebody will say is they'll say in Hebrews, it says we are to obey our leaders. What is the only thing that they had to obey in Hebrews? Faith. It is the obedience of faith. They weren't doing that. They were obeying the law of Moses. So the message in the book of Hebrews is about obeying the message about Jesus. It is the obedience of faith that has nothing to do with their actions or attitudes. It has to do with, I'm going to obey that Jesus is the Son of God by believing in that from repenting from the law. That's it. So we have to rethink how we see pastors. Don't attack people who find their identity in being a pastor. I've tried it. It never ends well. Don't burn bridges. Love them. Respect them. If you have to, cut off ties. Don't have anything to do with them. Sometimes they're so caught up in their self-righteousness, they ain't trying to hear anything you're saying. They don't care what you say. They're going to stick to finding their identity in that position. You can go fluff off somewhere, okay? That's their attitude towards you. So if that's the case, that's fine. Let them have that attitude. Let them find their identity in that position, in what they're doing. You go enjoy your life somewhere else. You don't have to deal with that. We even see this in the New Covenant, We've, the New Covenant camp. There are certain people who fully understand the New Covenant, but they still push this pastor dominance on people. The pastor knows everything. The pastor is in charge of everything. Obey that person. Even in the New Covenant camp, they know what happened at the cross, but they still find their title and pastor so-and-so. We don't have to do this. And if it triggers you, like it triggers me, I, ch I have chosen to separate myself from that. I'm not interested in that, okay? Now, the thing is, when you understand these truths, you don't wanna go back and attack these people. If you have the flesh get stirred up and you think about doing something that's not of faith towards these people, pump your brakes. That's not gonna end well for you. You're gonna be unfulfilled. So rather than that, just keep them out of your mouth, keep them out of your mind, set healthy boundaries, stay away. Or if you still wanna be involved with that, do it. You are free, you're free. We are a body of Christ, okay? One pastor, one person is not in charge of us. They don't know everything. Even if they have a master's degree or, or they have whatever in linguistics or they even have gatekeepers now who protect those people, you know? It, I'm just, I'm over it. So I'm not interested in that. Um, and once I began to get away from that stuff, and become confident in who Christ has made me to be and everything I know as of this moment, that stuff doesn't trigger me because I'm not interested in that. And I know that people watch these lives and they are triggered by that as well. 
So the best thing to do is understand the truth about the word pastor, about the word elder, about the word deacon, and then establish healthy boundaries to protect yourself, okay? Or continue to be involved with it. It's up to you. But anyway, I want you to be confident in who you are, and I want you to be confident in who Christ is. If we are looking to one person to run every question by, to get every answer, you're not gonna have any confidence in what you know right now. You're not gonna have any confidence in Jesus. You're gonna think I gotta run it by pastor so-and-so. Well, my pastor says this. Oh, that sounds like my pastor. You sound like my pastor. The gospel is much older than your pastor. <laughs> so we gotta stop giving so many people who have claimed this title of pastor credit for the gospel because they didn't think of it. <laughs> it's a hold. It's a old. It's an old message. So that's my take on that. I always try to get that out in the open because I know one of the number one struggles people have is they don't think that they can even do this as a regular person. Have a social media ministry or write books or talk to somebody about Jesus or do A, B, and C because they're not a pastor. You, you can be yourself. You can do whatever the Lord is calling you to do and inspiring you to do. And he's going to do that with a sense of ease, with, with a sense of confidence, with a sense of I'm fine as I am. That's what he will lead you to. Okay. Now, um, if you want to contact me, I welcome you. I will, I would love to interact with you. So if you DM me, I don't answer my DMs. <laughs> So I can't keep up with those. The best way to contact me is go to my website. There's a link in my profile. Go to my website and then go over to the contact page. Shoot me a message. I'll respond to you. Okay? All right. So let's go ahead and get to today's walk talk. Let me switch hands here real quick. Give cameraman number one a break. Blow my snotty nose. It's not really that cold. It's just windy here. Pardon me with my snotty nose, guys. All right, let's go ahead and get back to it. All right, and also the shadow's not on my face, so maybe you can see me now. All right, so how to enter through the narrow gate. So how do you enter through the narrow gate? What do you think? A lot of people have different opinions on this. My recommendation would be, let's go back to the Bible. Find those verses and then view those verses in light of what Christ has done. How about that? There's a lot of people out there who say you gotta enter through the narrow gate and it has nothing to do with what is currently happening in their life. So we see in Luke 13, Jesus says, strive to enter the narrow gate. Make every effort to enter through the gate. Other translations say, strive to enter through the door the narrow door. So strive to enter. Work to enter. Make every effort to enter. You got to really, really put forth your best effort to enter. That's a red flag that that's not the gospel. Remember, Jesus taught the old covenant and the new covenant. So anytime you see something that is pressure filled, he is exposing a non-believer's need to repent towards faith in him because jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light so which one is it do you got to strive to enter the gate do you got to make every effort to enter that door no this is law teaching 
The audience is the Jews. We see something similar in Matthew 7. He says, enter through the gate. Wide is the path of destruction. You know, a lot of people, you'll hear that all throughout the churches on Sundays. Person will get up on stage and they'll say, all these people living in sin, all this drinking, smoking, cussing, smoking that weed, going to the club, watching the porn. They're on that wide path of destruction. Pardon my poor Southern accent, but I just heard, I already have a Southern accent, but that's even worse. But we see the people get up on stage and they use these passages from Luke 13, Matthew 7, and they'll say, it's all these people out here doing a bunch of bad stuff. Not the context. Jesus is actually talking to the most well-behaved people in the world, the Jews. So why is he saying that? Why is he saying you need to strive to enter through the gate? You need to get off that wide path of destruction. The Jews are like, who do you think you are? I obey the law of Moses. I'm nothing like that sinner right there. I, I follow and obey all 613 commandments. That's who he was talking to. He wasn't talking to somebody caught in adultery. We see how he deals with people caught in sin. Gently, with grace. It was the self-righteous people who thought they were doing a bunch of stuff to be righteous through the law. They needed to strive to enter rest. They needed to make every effort to enter through that door because they were saying, I obey not only the Ten Commandments, I obey all of the commandments. You know, we want to put Ten Commandments on people. That's only 10 of 613. They followed all 613. We like to cherry pick the 10, but that's not allowed. Deuteronomy 4, 2 says, do not add to the law, do not take away from the law. James says, if you fail at one commandment, you failed at all of them. Paul said the same thing, Galatians chapter three. You are cursed if you don't continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So if you cherry pick just the 10 commandments, you're not truly respecting the law because the law is an all or nothing proposition. So these people he's speaking to in Luke 13 and Matthew seven, these are not people who our modern church wants to point out as the worst of the worst. These are the people who look like the people who go to church. Nothing against them. There's not everybody. So I'm not going to group those everybody together because there's a lot of good people in church who look like good people and they, they are, but there are some people who find their identity in their looks. They find their identity in going to church. They find their identity in their seminary degree. They find their identity in their masters of linguistics. They find their identity in everything except for Christ. They want to prove you wrong. They want to point out everything you're doing wrong. That's not who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to the people who are following the law. And we see something similar in Hebrews chapter four. The author of Hebrews, whoever it was, says, strive to enter rest. Sounds familiar. Sounds like Luke 13. Why would he say strive to enter rest? It's the same thing, the same point. These people, the Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews is trying to get the Jews to stop following the law and repent toward faith in Jesus. That's the only sin in the book of Hebrews, unbelief in Messiah. These are the Jews. <laughs> they behave. 
They're not committing adultery. That's what makes them righteous. Get it? They're not doing these bad things. The people, the Gentiles, the pagans, they are. You heathens, you Canaanites. Who do you think you are? Nasty Samaritans. Okay? Now, so when we look at Hebrews, it has the same message as Luke 13 and Matthew 7. It's trying to get self-righteous people to repent toward faith in Christ alone. This is not Jesus saying, make every effort to do a bunch of stuff to a Christian. Where would be the cutoff? How would you know? You know, we get so much pressure put on us. We get so much double talk. I seen a TikTok the other day. I like this individual. But they started out the TikTok saying they had a vision. Right there, there's a red flag, first of all. Paul said, do not pay attention to the visions of people. Do not pay attention to those who are puffed up with their visions. Anybody can have a vision. Anybody can have a dream, quote. We don't find doctrine in visions. That's why he told the Colossians. They're puffed up with their visions. And they want everybody to pay attention to their visions. Islam was started on a vision. Mormonism was started on a vision. So if somebody starts out a TikTok saying, I had this vision. You got to listen to this. Red flag. <laughs> Love you. And I'll watch your TikTok. I'm just going to say it's interesting. But besides that, we don't get doctrine from people's visions. We got plenty of doctrine in scripture. So this individual had a vision. God loved them. And they had so much double talk in the vision. God really loves you. God, he's here to save you. But I died. I went to heaven. I stood in front of him. He said, you didn't do enough. So I was scared. Okay. And then all of a sudden I felt better. So you should do stuff because you don't want to be afraid and then feel better. And then it was just a, a circle, you know, am I supposed to be afraid of God or am I not supposed to be afraid of God? Which one is it? Pick it. That's why we don't pay attention to visions, you know, and it was just pressure and pressure and pressure. Oh, a little bit of grace, pressure, pressure. Pre oh, a little bit of grace. It's double talk and it's rampant. You're going to be judged according to what you've done and you'll get rewards. You are not judged according to what you've done, Christian. You are judged according to what Christ has done. We will all stand and give an account? Absolutely. You will be rewarded according to what you've done? Absolutely. If you're an unbeliever. And you don't want that. Jesus said, I'm coming back and my reward is with me. You don't want that. Because it won't be good. You, Christian, you have already received your reward. It is the reward of the inheritance. We see this in the book of Colossians. You are one of the vineyard workers. What happens with the vineyard workers? They all line up. The vineyard owner is paying everybody and they all get paid exactly the same. There's not different judgments. There's one judgment. And you have already passed over judgment from death to life. You were judged according to what Christ has done. You're not going to get stuff in heaven. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry to ruin it for you. But it's much better than that. It's not about getting stuff. Grace does not end when you enter heaven. So when we die and we give an account, Jesus already gave the account for you. The unbelievers will give an account for what they've done. And they're going to be judged according to what they've taught. They're going to be judged according to what they've done. They're going to be judged according to their good deeds. They're going to be judged according to their bad deeds. That's why the Bible says your best works are like filthy rags. 
So when you go to heaven, there's not going to be, oh God, what am I going to do? Oh, give me a hug. Oh, but wait, judge me. Oh, did, did I have enough? It's all poppycock. Christ keeps you safe after you die. You have already received everything you will ever receive. There's not a separate judgment. There's not two judgments. There's a great white throne. The throne is great. The throne is white. And he sits on it. And you're sitting in him right now. You are in Christ. Christ is already seated in heaven. So this vision, I saw this on TikTok. I was like, goodness gracious. What do I believe? But it just goes to show that there's so much double talk taught. And that comes from thinking you got to do a bunch of stuff. Because if you do a bunch of stuff, you might not go to hell. But then when you go to heaven, you might get some stuff too. So it's neurotic. I watch those TikToks and I'm like, yeesh. Good thing I understand the truth. Because if I didn't, this would really stir me up to produce fruit unto death which is a fruit of work, a fruit of anything that is not done from a state of rest. What are you going to do if this is not true? Doesn't sound like blessed assurance to me. Doesn't sound like good news to me. Sounds like it's going to be a difficult life here. Sounds like I'm not going to get enough stuff in heaven. Sounds like I can't really trust God. I definitely can't trust myself. It's not the truth, friend. It's error. It's error. The the gospel is much better than that. (laughs) The gospel is restful. His yoke is easy. His burdens light. It doesn't start out easy and light and then get difficult. It's grace from the beginning to the middle to the end and then on into creation, on, on into our next life after this creation. You know, enter through the narrow gate. You've done that. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, I am the gate. You've entered. You've entered. You're in that lush green pasture. You've been saved. You don't have to worry about doing stuff. The stuff happens organically as you just hang out in that pasture with Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to do stuff. If you never did stuff for the rest of your life, you're still in that pasture. You've still entered that gate. That wide road of destruction is not drinking, smoking, cussing, cussing, going to the club. Stop smoking the weed. Stop flirting in your DM with married people. Whatever. That's not what the wide road of destruction, the wide road of destruction in context in Luke 13, Matthew 7, is the law. 613 commandments wide. (laughs) It's the law of Moses. You're not under the law, you're under grace, Romans 6, 14. You walk by the spirit, not by the law. Galatians 5, 18. Sin will no longer be your master. Because you're not under the law. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no 
law. You cannot legislate the fruit of the spirit. Okay? So the wide path of destruction, you don't have to worry about it because you've already believed in Jesus once in your life by grace. How do you enter through the narrow gate? You've already done that the instant you believed. You don't have to be afraid. You're safe. You're secure. There's nothing wrong with you. You know, what are you going to do if you think you're going to do something to stay off that wide path of destruction? What are you going to do? Go to church more? How do you know it's enough? Tithe and then give an offering above the tithe? How do you know it's enough? Are you sure? Read your Bible more? Get up early more? Post more about Jesus? How do you know it's enough? Tell me. How do you know it's enough? You know, I was, I was going to Walmart the other day, yesterday, matter of fact, with Jennifer, and I parked towards the back of the parking lot because I don't want my car to get dinged, and I always walk. So, you know, it takes me an extra 20, 30 seconds, whatever. And I parked my car, nobody's around me, turned off the engine, looked up, and two aisles over, I seen this man slowly walking towards me. And he was fixed on me. And I was like, oh, well, here we go. So I could tell this person was going to approach me. It didn't know, I kind of had an idea why. But as he got closer and closer, his shirt said, repent, with an exclamation point. I was like, okay, here we go. So he walked up to me, said, hey, how are you? I said, I'm doing well. And he handed me a card. That was it. He said, have a great day. You too. Walks off. So, you know, I watch him walk off. And he goes up to the next person. So as I'm walking up to the entrance of Walmart, I take the card. And it pretty much said, repent or burn in hell. Repent or burn in hell. Now, this person might have been taught, you got to get out there and do this. If you don't, your judgment day is going to be bad. You got to do this stuff. That might be what they're taught. But imagine if he walked up to me and he handed me a card and it said, Jesus loves you and he wants you to be saved. Oh, man. That would have made a difference. Is there a hell? Yes. If you don't repent of unbelief, you're going to be eternally separated from God and it's hell. Whether or not it ends or not, that's up for debate. Some people want to say the word of destruction is used, which proves that God will ultimately annihilate hell. I don't know. All I know is there is a real hell. Whether or not it ends or not, I never have to worry about it. So, repenting of not believing Jesus has forgiven you by grace will prevent you from going there. So, his message was correct. But it was the deliverance of being, I don't know, I don't want to say sneaky, but maybe passive-aggressive. And I don't know what his motivations is. But there's a better way. There's a better way to do this. There's a better way. And once we tell people that you can enter through 
the gate of Jesus by simply believing he's forgiven you. And you go into this pasture of grace. He comes and joins you. He never leaves again. You can't do anything to get back on the path of destruction because you're, you're already there with Jesus. You know, even when you're faithless, he remains faithful. Some people will say, well, that verse says you can come and go. That's true, but you ain't going nowhere. He's there with you. So I hope this has encouraged you guys today. I hope it's helped you come to understand the context behind how to enter through the narrow gate. Strive to enter through that narrow door. The audience is unbelievers. They had to really work hard at believing in Jesus because Judaism is a lot older than this carpenter. Moses is much more well-established than this guy from Bethlehem. That's hard. You got to strive hard to believe that. You got to work really hard to believe that. It's hard. So they had to do that. They had to repent and work really hard in their belief to say, yes, he's the Messiah. I believe he's forgiven me. This is why Jesus so often in the gospels was saying, you got to increase your faith. Why? Because once you did that, you would understand that this is the son of God. He will forgive you. He can forgive your sins. I'm performing all these miracles to show you who I am. I'll even come back from the dead. But they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't believe. They weren't working hard enough to enter that gate through faith. Because that's the only way. So, But if that is directed at a Christian, it's out of context. It's not directed at you, friend. You've already entered. You get to rest. <laughs> you get to be yourself. You, you, just, you just wake up every day and you be. Don't worry, you'll figure it out. And it's a lifelong process. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to say dumb stuff. You're going to do dumb things. And, but you are not your mistakes. You are not the dumb stuff. You're not stupid. You're not dumb. You're holy. You're a child of God. You lack nothing. You have everything you need for life and godliness. You're a brand new creation. So, always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You've entered through the gate once. You don't do it multiple times. Once you believe Jesus has forgiven you, you're in. You're good to go, friend. You don't need to strive anymore. You don't need to work hard. Those couple sentences can really upset people who are taught behavior-focused religion. Because they think I'm saying, don't do anything. They think I'm saying, go sin. But that's how their conscience is trained. But the more they hear this, the more they'll understand. I want to do stuff. I don't want to sin. I want to live holy because I'm holy. Be holy. It's what you are. I'm saying the same thing. So always tell the truth about yourself. You're righteous. Yep. You're righteous. Jesus became sin so you could become righteous. You're holy. Yeah, you're holy too. Yep. Colossians 1. You're a new creation. There's nothing wrong with you. You've been set apart from sin, death, the world. 
you have God's divine nature. You don't have a sinful nature. You have God's divine nature. What else? You're a co-heir with Christ. You will be judged according to what Christ has done. You won't be rewarded when you die. You've already been rewarded. Now you have the reward of the inheritance. And you've entered that gate and you're in that wonderful pasture that lush green meadow (laughs) of life in Christ so enjoy it be yourself always tell the truth about yourself always be yourself alright guys love y'all have a good day bye thanks so much for joining me on this walk talk please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.